Shall I pray for you before we start? <laughs> Father, I thank you so much for Craig. I thank you for the things that you have placed in his heart to share with us this morning. And, and um, God, I ask you to bless his words, bless his heart as he uh, shares with us those things. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Dej. Um, yeah, what a privilege to be able to share with you this morning as we continue in our parable series. Sorry. Um, yeah, and I was actually just thinking about this morning, like, oh, why did I choose the one that I chose? <laughs> I've given myself a tough one. Um, so, yeah, I've been really encouraged by some of the words and things that have been shared this morning, um, especially in and around faith um, and just the Spirit and allowing the Spirit to do His thing. Because don't you find it difficult to follow Jesus sometimes? Like, not in the religious callings of what it means to be a Christian, but actually following in the steps of Jesus, obeying him to some of the things that he calls us to. We so often do so many things that we shouldn't do. We so often do so many things that we should be doing more of, and we're not doing it enough. Sometimes I get nervous reading the Bible. I don't know if that happens to you, but before I go into the Scripture, sometimes I get a little bit nervous because I'm like, oh, what's God going to point out today? What's he going to draw to my attention? So I get nervous sometimes. And I think what I do and sometimes what our culture has done is that we've watered some of the things that Jesus has set down. We try to fit them into our worldview or accommodate them so they make our life a little bit more comfortable. I think sometimes we, you know, we've kind of made Christianity about getting over the line of faith, accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and then we try to live as comfortably as we can until the day that he calls us home. <clears throat> you see, the text today is one that I could probably read and sit down and not have to do much teaching. And you'd all be like, amen, thank you, it's a long weekend. <laughs> but I ought to warn you, as easy as it is for me to read and for you to understand, it's almost impossible to obey. And that's where we're going to need the Spirit's help this morning and so grateful that, you know, we've been really just digging into the Spirit and what He has for us. If your heart is anything like mine, you're going to want to dismiss the words of Jesus this morning. You're going to want to try and, you know, dismantle them and change them to make them fit a little bit of the comfort that we accept. But we mustn't forget that when the teachings or the words of Jesus are difficult, His character ought to drive our trust, who He was, the life that He lived. You know, he said to us that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. It's not going to appear that way this morning. But as we dig in a little bit deeper, we will see that actually the life that he's calling us to is easier and that burden is lighter. So now that I've got you all incredibly nervous, what is this great ethical concern that we're going to talk about this morning? No, it's not money, but it's the great ethical concern of forgiveness. J.C. Ryle said, There are few duties so strongly commanded in the New Testament scriptures as this duty is, but few who neglect of which so clearly shuts a man out of the kingdom of God. You see, friends, forgiveness is one of the themes or the major themes of Jesus' teaching. He modeled and lived the life of forgiveness, showing forgiveness, living forgiveness, but it's a sin that runs rampant in our churches and in around society. While 
you know, one of the reasons that is is that it's a pretty difficult sin to call out on people because it's like, well, okay, man, you've got to maybe forgive that person. And they come back at you like, oh, now you're taking their side. You know, what's your story? The other reason is that it's just so rampant. I don't know if you've noticed, but people are pretty sinny. We get it wrong a lot. People get it wrong against us pretty often. If you have young kids in your household, you were probably sinned against at least five times this morning. If you drove in from Walkworth side, you were probably sinned against as early as 9.30 in the morning, driving through Hill Street intersection. You see, those are minor. Some of us have been sinned against significantly, and I don't want to diminish that this morning. But I think the humanness in us will tell us that anger, bitterness, and revenge will bring us freedom. And Jesus wants to show us in this parable and this morning that it's actually release, restoration, mercy, and forgiveness. You see, some of you are tense already, I know, because the one who has sinned against you or is sinning against you has come clearly into your mind. And you're like, oh, thanks, Craig. I actually forgot about that, but you brought it to mind on this long weekend. I'm really grateful. But look at what... Namibian theologian Victor Collegian says, he says, Christ says we must forgive. I must admit I find that command impossible to obey, at which point I'm left with two options. Ignore it or submit myself to it and seek the Spirit's miraculous power to overcome my bitterness and anger. You see, he realizes it's a command. Jesus calls us to forgive. He realizes that we are left with two options. Ignore it or submit ourselves to the Spirit's power. And forgiveness is one that we need the Spirit to help us get right. And that's been my prayer this week, and that is my prayer this morning, that the Spirit would pour Himself out this morning, soften your hearts um, to what it is we're going to go through in this Scripture. So getting into just pre-parable, Peter comes out and he's the first to approach. Don't you love Peter? As an introvert, I love guys like Peter. He asks. He asks the questions that we're all thinking. As an introvert, I never ask the questions in a group setting. But Peter, happy to put his foot in his mouth. I don't think this time he is. He's actually showing a bit of maturity. But he says to Jesus, he says, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Now, just to give you some context... These guys have been walking, this is Matthew chapter 18, so they've been walking with Jesus for a little bit. They've seen Jesus do some pretty incredible things, but they've also heard him say some pretty crazy things. Can you imagine their worldview must have been absolutely turned on its head as they kind of are walking with Jesus? Just a few verses back, Jesus has told them, leave 99 sheep to go get one. They're like, but why? Like one... So now this issue of forgiveness has come up and Peter's like, whoa, can we just place a top limit? Let's just find a place where we can put an upper number because otherwise you're going to call us to do something crazy and we're not into that. So where do we draw the line? What are the parameters that we get to operate within when it comes to forgiveness? Now you see the rabbinic teachings of the day would have said three times you have to forgive someone and then you're no longer bound to forgive them. Maybe that's where that baseball analogy comes from. Strike one, two, and three. Okay, after three, in the rabbinic teaching, you're no longer bound to forgive someone. So, you know, 
I'm like, oh, that's pretty gracious, three times. But it gets us into a little bit of trouble, right? Like, if three was the number, I don't think I'd have a relationship with anyone in my household because I've had to forgive my, ask for forgiveness a few more times than three times. Our kids, Daniel loves to rev Jamie up and he loves to get a reaction out of her. It normally takes about 12 minutes in the day and he's already had to apologize three times. So Peter's actually coming in pretty high. He's like expecting a pat on the shoulder. Peter, you get this thing. He's being like the class nerd. And I was thinking about it. The team um, that I coach rugby this year, we set some high expectations in our team. And we often say, oh, if we get it wrong on the weekend, if we, if we drop the ball X amount of times, or if we lose this many lineouts, what's the team punishment going to be? And you can always guarantee there'll be one that will be like, oh, burpees, heels, lunges. And the rest of the team's like, no ways, dude. Like, speak for yourself. You're going in a bit extreme there. Peter's coming in a bit extreme here, saying seven times. Other disciples are like, oh, no ways, bud. See what Jesus says? No, not seven times. Disciples are like, yes, sweet. We say three he says seven, let's meet in the middle at five. Jesus says, nope, 70 times seven. Now, to be fair, some translations will say 77 times. Some will say 70 times seven. But either way, Jesus actually isn't giving us an upper number. He's being idiomatic. He's not being like, well, it's actually 490 times. So you're going to have to go to typo and just get yourself a longer journal so that when you get to 491, you can write someone off. Jesus is not saying that. He's not giving us an upper number. He's actually calling us to a life of ongoing forgiveness and a posture of mercy towards people who sin against us. So, oh, sorry. Elizabeth Milford sees the hope in this part of scripture as she writes there's actually hope in this initial response from Jesus he indicates that forgiveness is not so much about the sticker chart or final exam you know where we're ticking off one by one in our journal the amount of times that somebody sinned against us or we've sinned against them but she says it's about ongoing discipleship she says put another way forgiveness must become a way of life you see what it means to follow Jesus and following Jesus in his fullness of who he is calls us to a life of forgiveness, even when it is hard. I know some of you will be you know, instantly getting your backs up this morning. You'll be like, Craig, you, I get this, and I, you know, I'm all for that, but you just don't know what they've done to me. You don't know the amount of pain they've caused me. You don't know the hurt that they've caused me, the amount of money I've had to spend on counseling because of them. I get that, and I don't want to diminish that this morning. Scott Saul, who probably says it way better than what I could, recognizes the difficulty in this. And look at what he says. Such a good quote. He says, According to Jesus, if we want to be his disciples, we cannot place a limit on the number of times that we are willing to forgive those who offend, insult, persecute, and betray us. This includes smaller offenses, but it also includes greater offenses. 
the ones that feel like the ripping of our flesh, the crushing of our spirits. Forgiving others as Christ has forgiven you is gutsy and gut-wrenching. It's courageous and terrifying. It's redemptive and messy. It's breathtaking and exhausting. It's heavenly and it's hellish in what it's going to require of us. The practice of forgiveness is no easy endeavor. Amen, Scott Souls. Now, I know it's taken me a while to get you, and I haven't even got to the parable yet, and I've still got some more to say. But I just want to give us some things at what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not, just so we've got some parameters and some biblical perspectives as to what forgiveness actually is and what it is not. Some of these ideas that I've got coming up from a friend of ours, Ross Lester, um, who pastors a church now in um, America, but we sat under him um, in some of our time in South Africa. So what forgiveness is not? Forgiveness is not forgetting. Okay, we are not called to forget the sin that is um, sinned against us. Jesus is not asking us to, us to sweep it under the rug, forget about it, pretend that it never happened. Actually, a few verses back in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says, if someone sins against you, call them out. If they don't listen, bring a brother along and call them out again until he can try and resolve it. So he's not asking us to try and hide it or sweep it under the carpet. Now, it is godly and God-honoring to overlook someone's sin and forgive them. It also says in Scripture that God remembers our sin no more. Now, that doesn't mean that God is that old man in the sky that we sometimes depict him to be, that the memory's just starting to go a little bit, and it's like, oh, he just forgot that one. Phew. No, what it means is that he, stops, and he chooses to stop calling our sin to his memory or to his attention. My wife has forgiven me for many things over the years. I get it wrong often. You can ask her. But what she's so gracious at is that she doesn't say, well, in 2018, when you apologized for something very similar that you're apologizing for today, she doesn't call that to her attention and she deals with what it is in the moment. And God does that in just a much bigger scale of grace. So forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is also not necessarily reconciliation between the wounder and the wounded. Now, reconciliation is a powerful biblical concept, and there can be no reconciliation without forgiveness. But you see, it takes one to repent, it takes another to forgive, but you actually need both of those people or both parties for reconciliation to take place. And that's not always the case. It's not always possible. Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who's somewhat an expert in the area of forgiveness and reconciliation, said this. He said, once you've been able to forgive, the final step is to either renew or release. You see, you've got options. You can renew the relationship or you can release it. He says, indeed, if you never speak to them again or see them again, or even if they are dead, they live on in ways that impact your life profoundly. The archbishop is so right when he says that. We've got options. We can renew the relationship and that's what our hope would be in most circumstances, that reconciliation can take place and the relationship can be renewed. But in instances where that can't be, we need to release it from the clutches of bitterness and anger. Lastly, what forgiveness is not, 
forgiveness is not necessarily the removal of barriers to ongoing injury. There are certain cases and certain sin where actually we need to put barriers in place where we don't allow access to ourselves from that person anymore. That is godly wisdom and scriptural wisdom will call us to that. You see, I don't know if you've watched Athletes A on Netflix. It's the story of Larry Nassau. He's an American gymnast coach who ended up abusing hundreds of young women. One of those women was Rachel Den Hollander, who was one of the young gymnasts. Now, you see, she called his sin to light. She was one of the, you know, one of the few that went forward to call this sin, sin, as difficult as it was for her. She brought it to light, and because of that, a barrier was put in place. And that barrier in that example was the prison system, and that's where Larry needed to be. But Rachel, a Christian woman on a Christian pursuit of mercy and justice, look how well she walks this tightrope. I know it's a long quote. Oh, it's small. She says, you spoke of praying for forgiveness, but Larry, this is what she said in his court hearing, sorry, just to give you some context. So it's at his trial, at his hearing, and this is her opportunity to speak. The Bible you carry, you know forgiveness does not come from doing good things, she says, as if good deeds can erase what you have done. It comes from repentance, which requires facing and acknowledging the truth and about what you have done and the utter depravity and horror without mitigation, without excuse, without acting as if good deeds erase what you have done. She then goes on to say, the Bible you carry says it's better for a stone to be thrown around your neck and you thrown into a lake than for you to make even one child stumble and you have made hundreds of children stumble. The Bible you have carries a final judgment where all of God's wrath and eternal terror is poured out on men like you. Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing, and that's what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet. Listen to the next words she says here. I, only God can do this in someone's heart. She says, because it extends grace, hope, and mercy where none should be found, and it will be there for you too. She then finishes by saying, I pray you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt and someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need forgiveness far more than you need from me, though I extend that to you too. So that's not forgiveness is not. This is what forgiveness is. Firstly, forgiveness is, and clearly in biblical terms, it's the cancellation of relational Debt. debt is often the language used in Scripture and in the parable that we're going to go through about what we owe for what we've done. To forgive is to say, I will not continually punish you for the personal debt that you owe. Now, there are earthly consequences for what you've done, and this doesn't diminish that. But forgiveness stops demanding that we are someone else actively pay for the pain that they've caused us. We release them into that indebtedness. Secondly, forgiveness is not just the cancellation of relational debt, but it's the refusal to rest in the false, bitterness, um, the false comfort of bitterness. Now you see, the world will tell us the opposite of forgiveness is freedom. If you don't forgive, you have freedom away from the person 
that's holding you or that's offended you. But we know it's not the case. We know that when we don't forgive someone, we're actually bitter and we hold on to bitterness. Um, and there's a saying that we heard and we just find so true is that bitterness is like drinking poison, hoping the other person's going to die. You hold on to it. And if you hold on to bitterness, it amplifies the sin. And lastly, and this is, it gets, you know, this is where it gets hard. Forgiveness is the desire for the flourishing of the one who has sinned against us. Scott Saul says it so well. See how I use quotes of people who can say it better than what I could ever say it. He says, oh, sorry. As we extend forgiveness of Christ, um, that Christ has secured for us, we open our hearts to the possibility, even to the hope, that the offending party would someday soften the experience um, sorrow for the hurt he has caused. We also hold out for the hope that the perpetrator would confess his wrongdoing and seek forgiveness from God and from us. Our forgiveness includes the ongoing choice of exchanging our daydreams for our enemy's demise for new daydreams, one in which he is humbled into repentance. I don't know if it's just me that has these daydreams, Oh, one day they are going to be found out for what they did. Oh, it's going to come crashing out under their feet. Karma's going to come knocking on their door. Oh, I can't wait to see it. Just me. <laughs> Just me. <laughs> but repentance and forgiveness actually exchanges those daydreams of demise for daydreams of, oh, imagine they turned... Imagine they came to know the love of Christ and that their hearts are changed and that what they did to me, they'll never do to anyone else because they actually know Jesus. That's a lot, I know. I'm sorry. Sunday morning of a long weekend. But we're going to jump into the parable now and there's only one main point and we're going to go through it pretty quickly because the main teaching is pretty obvious. So Jesus jumps into the disciples because he's just been like, no, you need to forgive someone 70 times, seven times. And the disciples are like, so Jesus in his love and mercy says, okay, I'll tell you a parable. So that's where he kicks off in the parable. And it's Matthew 18, verse 23. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, I will pay you everything. And out of pity, the master of that servant released him and forgave him of his debt. Now just to give you some context here, there would have been laughs when Jesus told this parable in the crowd. When Jesus said, this man owed 10,000 talents, people would have been like, they can't comprehend that amount of money. If we could draw a modern day comparison, which we can't, but if we had to try, somewhere in the region of about 8.5 billion New Zealand dollars. Kind of like your average four bedroom in Auckland at the moment. <laughs> but both 10,000 and talents were the highest numbers of measurements or units of measurements in the Roman world. So it's like funny money. He, he wasn't trying to give a top fit. It's, it's unattainable. It's unpayable. And this punishment of being sold to slavery 
would be a common thing in that day when you couldn't pay the debt that you owed. And look at his posture. He comes and he's like, I'll pay you. That's like us going to Jesus like, oh, we'll be good from now on. We promise. Like, I won't do that again. Like, it's not going to happen. And then we square Jesus. He can't pay it. Self-righteousness in thinking that he could pay it. What moves the master? Is he moved by a good financial scheme or good payback of interest? Is he like, oh, if he just pays enough interest, I'll forgive you? No. What he's moved by is a compassion and mercy. He feels sorry for him. He can see his posture and he says, I will forgive you your debt. And you see, Jesus doesn't only forgive our debt, but he actually pays it for us. Here comes the sting in the parable's tale. But the same servant went out and found one of fellow, his fellow servants who owed him a hundred um, denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. See the sting in the tail? Now, friends, this man is owed a debt. That's the equivalent of about three months' salary. So it's a lot of money that he's owed. But in terms of what he owed, it's a drop in the ocean. And look at his posture. He's angry. He's bitter. He's violent. And when asked for just a slither of the compassion that he was showed, he refuses it and says, no, that debt must be paid. Jesus finishes the parable by saying, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they reported to their master all that had taken place. His master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt that you owed um, because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt, which he'll never be able to pay. It's too much. Also, my heavenly Father will do to you, every one of you, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Not hard to understand, almost impossible to obey. Here's the one point that I've got for you this morning. It's mercy, compassion, and grace that make life in the kingdom possible in the first place. You see, Romans 6 tells us that we owe a debt. The wages of sin is death. That's what we owe. We owe our whole lives. You see, when Jesus went up to the cross, we didn't actually know how much we owe. We get some kind of picture as his arms are stretched out that we owe a great deal because it cost Jesus his life and separation from his father. But that same picture of him with his arms stretched out wide shows us how much we are actually loved. Each and every one of us this morning in this room, we are so loved. We are more loved than what we can imagine. Look how Paul summarizes it in Ephesians chapter 4. Again, there's no hidden words in the Greek here. It's simple. Forgive one another as Christ forgave you.
simple, but almost impossible. See, the teaching is that it's not a tick box. It's not about trying to get it right all the time. We're going to fail. We're going to get it wrong today, and we try again tomorrow. And we get it wrong tomorrow, we try again the next day. It's calling us to a life of forgiveness and a posture of mercy. Upon the great understanding that we have been forgiven of much, You see, I have received so much forgiveness and mercy in my life. If you had to speak to those closest to me or stumble across some of the journals that I've kept over time, you'd be like, whoa, this guy sins a lot. Who gave him a microphone this morning? What have I been given? I've been given mercy. I've been given compassion. I've been given love. Can you imagine there was a number where his mercy ran out for us, where he was keeping this tick box and we ran out of his mercy, I would have passed that number long ago. Understanding this helps me to bow my knee and gives me a posture of mercy and forgiveness. You see, this challenges us in all of our humanness. Our default is to want to hold things against people, hold on to that bitterness and that anger. I don't know why we do it, but it's just our reaction and it's just, you know, our default. But it's a choice, like Victor Collegian said at the beginning. Obey or don't obey. But if you obey, you're going to need the Spirit's help. One opportunity at a time, then seven, and then 70 times seven. I'm going to call the band up um, as we close up this morning, I'm just going to give you one practical as they get ready because, again, this is, it's pretty hard and it's pretty weighty because today you might feel that you're just too weak. The pain against you is too great, and I get it. I promise I am not diminishing your circumstances this morning. The sin against you may feel too weighty, too repetitive, and too destructive. I get it. When Jesus told us, look how the disciples press back. Luke chapter 17, and we'll close with this. Oh, it's gone off now, but it says, pay attention to yourselves. <clears throat> if your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Again, same theme. The disciples, again, they're just like, how? How do you do this? They don't push back. They don't say why. They don't have a debate with Jesus. Their response is, oh, Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. Move us this next step forward in this journey of forgiveness. And the Lord said, if you have faith, the grain of a mustard seed... You could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. What do you need mustard seed-sized seed faithful? Sorry, for forgiveness. We so often use that out of context, but Jesus is saying, increase your faith for forgiveness. You might not have mountain-sized faith here this morning, but if you've got just mustard-sized seed faith this morning, take that to Jesus. And just ask him to work with what you've got. Because that's the Lord and Savior that we follow. And that's, what it, you know, that's, the, that's the way of our Lord. 
We are a merciful bunch that we call sin, sin. No doubt about that. We call it out and we call it to light. But we're also a bunch of people that will live incredible mercy and lives of patience and forgiveness. As the band goes out with a song, I just call you to stand up and we're all going to sing together. So um, as we sing this last song, I would just encourage you to do business with God. Is there something or someone that's come to your mind this morning? Start with just asking God to increase your faith. Ask for the Spirit to move you one step forward towards that. If you'd like some prayer, please make your way to the front during the song, um, and someone will pray with you and spend some time in prayer. You don't have to go into details, but you just might someone, want someone to pray with you as you increase your faith on that journey of forgiveness. So yeah, please stand. We'll sing a last song, and then we'll close our time together. If you want prayer, please come forward during this last song. Thanks, Matt. Yeah.